Welcome to the Centro Church Podcast. To find out more about Centro Church, please visit us at centrochurch.com.au or download our smartphone app today. This morning, um, I'm going to talk to you about a, a, a guy in the Bible who, if you're a Bible person, you'll know. Uh, one of the most famous characters from the Bible. As a matter of fact, all of the Bible turns, if you didn't know, on four characters. On Adam, where God dealt with the whole world to Abraham, where he dealt with a nation, to David, where he dealt with a family, to Jesus, where he dealt with a person, and then the whole world again. That's how the Bible turns. The Bible swings on four individuals. And this morning, I want to talk to you about one of them. He's called the father of faith, and he's yours and my, if you're a a person of faith here this morning, we deem him as our father. His name is Abraham. Started off as Abram until God changed his name. And I'm going to show you something about his life that I want to suggest to you is the key to longevity and fruitfulness. The key to longevity and fruitfulness. If you want, to, you, you want longevity, you want to be able to last the distance, and Paul does call the, the Christian walk a marathon, it's not a, it's not a sprint, then I, I will suggest that you need to learn the lesson from Abraham this morning that we're about to dive into. If you want to be fruitful, you want a, there to be a... Uh, uh, a purpose once you're a, a purpose to your being, um, you know, a, a legacy once you're gone. Then I want to suggest that you adopt what we find as we delve into this character this morning. Abraham, he was called the uh, he was called the father of faith. I've already established that he was called justified by faith, which was crazy because um, you know Martin Luther brought the, the idea, the theory, the doctrine of justification by faith to the front of the church. 1,500 years after Christ, um, decades after Christ, a couple of them anyhow, Paul nailed it in Galatians that we are justified. In other words, we're made right, we're made righteous, we're made good, not by what we do, but by what he has done. Of course, Jesus made the way for it at the cross. But Abraham, some, well, 1,500 years before, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, Martin Luther, 1,500 years later, sort of brought it front and center. Abraham, 1,500 years before the cross, it was said of him that he was justified like those of us this morning, justified by faith. His experience, here's the point, his experience is your experience. So what I'm about to read to you about his life, and you can find fundamentally his whole life in about 12 pages of the Bible. And there are a, a number of vignettes, you know, there are, there are a number of little stories about him. And they all come pretty much to the same conclusion. And that's what we're about to find out, what that conclusion is. And each one of his experiences that we're about to look at is your experience. It's not just history. It's not just about this historical figure. It's actually about you. And I hope that you see yourself in Abraham's experience, and then you find yourself in Abraham's actions, right? I hope that you see yourself in Abraham's experience, then you find yourself in Abraham's actions. So we'll start off, um, we'll start off in, in what, where we first are introduced to the guy in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 2, where it says this, Now the Lord said to Abraham, as he was known then, Get uh, out of your, uh, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and, and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. Isn't that amazing? 
that God comes to this man and says, you're going to be great. Turn to the person next to them and say, you're going to be great. Tell the person beside you. You're going to be great. Now, here's, here's my point, okay? Enough, enough already. Uh, how do you respond to that? How do you react when someone comes along and says, you're going to be great? Now, outside of the framework of the kingdom of God, there are two ways to respond to that, really. One is... Well, yes, I kind of really knew that. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty much great now. You know, pretty much great, but God's going to make me greater, right? I mean, I'm pretty awesome now, you know, but God's going to make me awesomer. And, I, you know, I can kind of understand why. After all, I'm pretty awesome. And uh, I know why God chose me because, I, you know, there's a lot that God could use that I have. And so God wants me on his team. I get that. So that's, that's one way to respond to that, right? One way to respond is to go, well, yes, I'm pretty great, yes. The other way to respond to that, and, and probably the way most of us respond, is, oh, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> nah, not little old me, I'm not much, you know. I don't have much to give, you know. I'm just little old me, living in little old Ipswich, you know. Got my little old job, or got my little old house. There's not much great about me. You must be mistaken, God. You know, I don't know how you define great, but look at me. And I don't know how familiar you are. Um, but, you know, there are stories in the Bible where angels appear to men and say, you know, behold, men of valor and greatness. And, oh, no, I'm the least of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, I know who I'm talking about, you know. Oh, no, no, you got me confused. When the New Testament says this, the New Testament says that, um, I have the power to be the son, to be called the son of God. I'm a son of God. Is that great? I ask you the question, is that great? So why did you laugh when the person said, you're going to be, because we, we've been given the power to be called the sons of God. We are called kings and priests. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the great uh, philosopher Pascal. Pascal made a very interesting observation about mankind. He made a lot of them. He's a very bright character. You possibly heard his name. Pascal says, who is unhappy about not being a king except a deposed king? And Pascal's observation was that the human race, and he lived hundreds of years ago, that the human race was so unhappy. It was full of unhappiness. The people weren't happy with who they were, you know, what they had. And it didn't matter how far up the social kind of ladder they climbed. It didn't matter how much they had. They were not happy with who they were and what they had. And Pascal's conclusion was the reason there was so much unhappiness in the human race because something on the inside of us knows that we are deposed kings, that we were created to be kings, and through sin we have lost our position, and we will never be happy until we are reunited with the reason we've been created, till we find our kingship again. 
And nothing this world offers us can seem to replace that no matter how much of that we get. How do we respond to this? I'm a king. How do we respond to this? I'm a son of God. How do you deal with it? You know, outside of, as I said, you know, the framework of the kingdom, you either get a big head and think everyone else is less than you, or you just revert in and think, oh, well, not me. It couldn't be me. I want you to note what Abraham does in verse 7 of this same chapter. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your sinners, I will give this land. So it's part of this great promise. And look what he does. And there he builds an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. I'm not suggesting that you build, I don't know what that means to many of you, an altar. What's an altar? Is that some sort of funny box? Is that religious or something? Uh, I'm not suggesting that you adopt some religious behavior and build some kind of you know, external uh, thing that, that, that is a, 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 a place that is sort of you know, um, put aside for God. What I'm suggesting is this that Abraham came to the recognition that this was not about him, was not about his power, was not about his ability. So he brought it to God and he laid it on the altar. He brought it to God in worship. The reason I know that, it says in Romans 4.20, he did not waver at the promise. doesn't say he wasn't surprised. <laughs> Just said he, he didn't waver at it. Right? He didn't go, oh, no, nah, couldn't be. And neither did he respond out of some kind of you know, uh, uh, self-centered pride. What did he do? He did not waver at the promise through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And I want to suggest to you this morning that when we worship the giver of the promise, we're reminded of his power to perform and his faithfulness to keep. You have been created to be great. But it's not about your power and it's not about your ability and it's not about your experience and it's not about your amazing awesomeness. It's about the power and the awesomeness and the presence of God in you. And when you get that promise and when you get a glimpse of who God has called you to be, what you do is you don't get full of yourself, neither do you collapse on yourself. You lift your hands and you give worship to God. But the calling is placed upon your life. That's how you respond to the circumstance of the call of greatness. Let's have a look and continue on in his life. It says in verse 8, next verse. It says, and he moved from there to the mountains east of Bethel. Let's talk about this for a moment. Because how many of you in this room have ever done the right thing only to find out that you wound up in a mountain? How many of you in this room have ever thought, I'm going to try and do the right thing, you know? I'm going to be obedient to God. So you're obedient to God and things got worse. The thing about a mountain is it costs more to go less in a mountain. When you're traversing through mountainous uh, 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 type... Uh, um, uh, type land you, you know that it's just not going to be a cakewalk it's just not going to be some kind of uh, of, 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 of afternoon walk in the park it takes intentionality it takes effort it takes a fair degree of, of work and isn't this what happened however you know to uh, to Jesus uh, Jesus followed the Lord through the, through the waters of, oh he was the Lord he calls us to follow him through the waters of baptism he was obedient I should say um, to the Father to, to be baptized now 
What happened after his baptism? At his baptism, you know, there's a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Oh, that's pretty cool, isn't it, eh? John the Baptist says, Behold the name of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That's pretty amazing. But what happens after the baptism? After this incredible declaration from the Father, from heaven, this voice from heaven for crying out loud that everyone could hear. After this amazing revelation of John, what happens to Jesus? He finds himself in the wilderness um, at war facing the devil. And, and, and this is... This is the journey of your life, my friend. When you do the right thing, things don't necessarily get easier. <laughs> when you do the right thing, things can get harder. You can start to say, to you, oh man, what are we doing here? I, I distinctly remember this. I remember when we first built that building there, sitting in my office after about six weeks. I remember thinking to myself, I didn't used to have this many problems in the old building. <laughs> Is it too late to go back? I remember having that distinct thought. Because, you know, new levels, new devils. You know what I'm saying? Every time you step up in God, you open yourself up to a whole new level of attack. Don't make, make, make no mistake about that. And, and, and Abraham finds him, or Abraham as he's known, then finds himself in a, in, in a mountainous place. What do you do? Get frustrated? Get angry? Think to yourself, well, blow this, you know, doing the God thing I'm going to do my own thing I'm going to go back to my father's house I'm going to go back to my land it was easier back then what does he do in verse 8 it says he pitched his tents with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east it says there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord coming to the altar keeps me leaning on the promise keeper and not rejoicing in the promise do I need to say that again? Coming to God in worship keeps me leaning on God, rejoicing in God, and not rejoicing in His promises. We can all rejoice in His promises. We can all rejoice in the greatness that He's bestowed upon us. We can all rejoice when things are going well, you know. We can all rejoice in, 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 the, uh, uh, in the ultimate destination, in heaven, all these things. But what this does is brings us back to just me and God and the fact that I'm rejoicing, not in the promise, but I'm rejoicing in the promise keeper. It's easier to get caught up in the visions and get drawn into joy as a result of, of where God is leading us. But Abraham, right here, Abraham as he still is, Abraham in the early stages of, of his, um, his journey that's recorded for us, what we see of him is building another altar. And it goes on, let's... let's to chapter uh, to verse 10 let's have a look at the next little part of his life <laughs> it says now there was a famine in the land so he's gone from a high mountainous um, uh, regime to one where there's no supply to one where uh, I can't get enough food to feed my family so things are economically tight and Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land hmm and in Egypt, things go from this guy, in a sense, from bad to worse. I don't believe he was supposed to go to Egypt, but he went there because it seemed the best option. Seemed to have the most to offer him in the moment. So he goes down there and he faces one or two challenges and he lies. He tells the, 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 the Pharaoh, the, the head of Egypt, if you will, that this is not my, um, this is not my wife, she's my sister. 
because he was fancying her and he feared for his own life. Uh, that's the only lie that's recorded. But, but here's the point. How many of you in this room can, I mean, I want you to put your hand up. <laughs> can tell me you've lied this week. No, no, no. <laughs> How many of you in this room have taken matters into your own hands when things have got tough? How many of you in this room have found yourself in a circumstance of life where you thought to yourself, I'm not sure we can make it here. I, I don't know how things are going to work out. Things are tight. Things are rough. Things are pretty grim right about now. Can I trust God? Well, look, if, if, you know, if God was blessing me, things wouldn't be like this. So clearly, I'm going to have to take matters in my own hands. Clearly, I'm going to have to sort this thing out myself. And it starts kind of like that, you know. And then you find yourself a few steps down that process, sort of twisting the truth a little bit. You know what I mean? Maybe you're, you're, you're not giving a, a complete and utter falsehood, but you're not telling it as it actually is. Uh, you're kind of taking the thing and you're just, you know, twisting it off just a little bit to the edge so that it kind of, you know, it, it, it kind of works in your direction. And that's what Abraham is doing. But I don't think he's the only one. I don't think this is some kind of, you know, uh, expose of Abraham that somehow we can point fingers at him and say, Abraham, what a bad boy are you? I think this is your experience. I think this is my experience. I think we can all attest to the fact that there has been times in our life when we've taken the matters into our own hands in what was a hard situation. So what happens next? That's the question. What do you do when you've had a bad week? What did you do this morning? Did you have a good week? I don't know what kind of week you had, to be honest, obviously. Maybe you had a good week. Maybe you've had a bad week. I don't know. But what did you do? How is your response to God? You see, uh, uh, one thing led to another, and Abraham gets kicked out of Egypt, and God blesses him. There's great grace in, in, his, uh, in the exodus on this occasion from Egypt. And uh, in verse uh, one of the very next chapter, as Abraham comes out of Egypt, look, look and see what it says. It says, Then Abraham went from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, Lot with him, to the south. Um, and then in verse four, it says, To the place of the altar which he'd made at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. You starting to see a pattern? <laughs> He's starting to see a, a process in this man's life. The father of faith. You know what you do. You know what I do. You know what the natural thing to do is more often than not when, when things don't, you know, when we've messed up. We put a little exile on ourselves from God. We go, well, I've messed up this week. You know, I, you know, I, I, know I looked at what I shouldn't look at. I know I went where I shouldn't have done. I, I phoned her and I told my wife I wasn't going to ring her, you know, or, or I got involved with that. I wasn't going to get involved with that. I, 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 I said this and it wasn't quite true. I know that. Then we come of a Sunday and, you know, we look around everybody else and we think, well, no one else has had the week I had, you know. Everyone else has been reading their Bible and praying three hours a day without a doubt except me, you know. Everyone else is this close to God except me. And so, you know, we come to a time like maybe we've just had this morning with the the goodness and the greatness of our God and, and you kind of sit there a little bit everyone else has maybe got their hands raised and declaring oh and you're looking around going yeah that's right everyone's close to God I better not do that because I know who I am I know what kind of week I've had I know what I've been up to if I put my hand up now my wife will slap me in the face because <laughs> she knows what I've done 
How dare I? How dare I worship God? You know, if I worship God now, my kids will think, that's right, he's a complete hypocrite. Because they've seen me this morning. They know what I've been up to. And we can sometimes think like that. Our mind can sometimes go down that pathway. The thing I love about this, so Abraham comes straight back out of, out of Egypt, and what's the first thing he does? He doesn't put himself in some kind of self-imposed exile. He doesn't say to himself, well, that's it, you know, I've blown up. The, the, the Egypt experiment was a complete mess. So I need to put myself in the desert for a few weeks before I come back and open up completely to God. The very next thing we see him do, verse 4, the very next thing we see him do is come back to that place of worship. God doesn't put a waiting time or approving, of a, or approving time on you. He simply welcomes you straight back into his presence aren't you glad aren't you glad you're here this morning and now you know that it says verse uh we'll we'll move on to chapter 15 it says because we haven't got all day but it says this in verse uh, five it says there then he god brought him outside and said look now towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able to number them he said so your descendants be if you're able to number them Abraham was given a task. He looked at that task and it was beyond him. He couldn't do it. I want to say to you that if you get involved with a God task, you're going to come to this moment. You're going to come to a moment when you look at it and you say to yourself, my goodness, I had no idea it was going to cost this much. I had no idea it was, it was going to be this deep this high this expensive now what are we going to do we don't have the money for this how are we ever going to cope if you've never been at a place where you've been overwhelmed by the task if you've never been at a place where where the assignment before you seems greater than the capacity within you then you've never been to a place where god has put you because God will always bring you to this place. God will always bring you to a point where the task before you seems greater than the power within you. And the question is, what do you do now? And the answer is panic. <laughs> I'm only kidding, of course. The answer is found, obviously, as we continue to look at the life of Abram. Um, it says in, in verse 9 of, of the same chapter, and he, uh, and he said to him, um, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old fem female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. What, what do you think is going on here? He's preparing to make a sacrifice at the altar. <laughs> What's going on here in Abraham's experience? Abraham is being brought back to the point of worship he's being brought back to a point where he gains a higher place you see when you surrender to god through this act of just coming and worshiping him right just laying it at his feet he's saying god i surrender it to you he lifts you to a higher place we were the other day in brisbane um a couple of months ago now that this this christmas parade thing that they do in the in the mall there and and we had our grandchildren with us and 
the crowd was there and, and the little, little, little fella couldn't see. So what does he do? You know, he comes and lifts his hands up. He says, lift me up, granddad, lift me up. You've got, you know, you got a good vantage point. Put me on your shoulders, I'll be able to see. He's a smart kid, right? Smart kid, 18 months old. He, he, knows, he knows where to get into a place where he can see. So what do you think you do? You pick the kid up, you put the kid on your shoulders, the kid gets to see the Christmas thing coming past. But what does that tell you? That tells you when you can't see, when it's too much, you lift your hands and your father will lift you to a new vantage point. <laughs> when, when, when things are beyond you, right? what do you do? You lift your hands and your father will lift you. It'll give you a whole different perspective. The last little um, vignette of this guy's life that we want to um, look at this morning is in chapter 22. And, and this is a heavy one. This is, this is as heavy as it gets, actually. This is pretty, pretty big. Uh, it says this, Then he said, Take now your son. This is God speaking to Abram, who's now Abraham. Right? Remember, he was going to have this great nation and it was beyond him because his wife, you know, they were old and she was sterile and he, you know, their, their bodies were past producing children. So they couldn't have a child. So how is this too big? It's beyond him, right? And he comes and worships God and one thing leads to another and she has a child. And now this child is, 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 is a little, is, um, a few months old and, and God says, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and whom your future is resting upon. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. In this, God reveals God's love for Abraham, inviting him to enter into fellowship so deep, so profound, that his love and trust was that sacrifice of his own son so what's going on here is God asking for infant sacrifice well in this case the answer is yes in this case it showed that Abraham's love for God was, was so strong that he refused to doubt his character even when his request seemed to violate it. Did, did you hear that? He refused to doubt his character even when what he was being asked to do seemed to violate his character. This shows a depth of relationship, of understanding and of love that is hard to comprehend. But Abram trusted God. Even when he said, kill your own son. Destroy your future. It's over. Abram takes his son and he heads up onto this mountain. And I believe Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 3. But he says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. But to know the power of his resurrection, Paul goes on to say, participate also in his sufferings becoming like him under death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead what Paul is saying is this I know that no matter how deep God leads me 
there'll always be a consummate height attached to it. If he leads me to the suffering of his death, I know that I will experience the power of his resurrection. To the depth that God will lead me, that will be matched by the height where I will finish. In other words, no matter how high the mountain God asks us to climb, no matter how large the challenge might seem, we need to understand something. That God has us on a journey. And each journey is merely a step to the next. Each journey is nearly, each step in the journey is merely preparation for the next. And I hope that you can see this morning what it is that the preparation is all about. You see, God is bringing you to a point where no matter what happened to you this week, you come into this place and you open your heart and you lift your hands and you come to God in worship. No matter what happens to you tomorrow, when you get to the end of tomorrow, you lift your hands, you open your heart and you declare to God the goodness and the majesty of His name. This is the journey of your life. And this was the journey of Abraham, the father of faith. You see, this whole idea of Pascal's that I mentioned earlier, that the fallen king is unhappy until he's returned to his throne, and that's us, that's mankind. You know, I mean, ask Brad Pitt, you can even marry Angelina Jolie and have all the money in the world, and still you're unhappy. No matter what the world can give you, you wind up unhappy. Why is that? Because you're a fallen king. And the only thing that will satisfy is the restoration to the place where you've fallen from. You see, this thing about Abraham we see is that he moved from a control freak to a worship freak. <laughs> Where are you on the journey? <laughs> a control freak trying to manipulate and control to a worship freak. To whatever happens, I just come and say, Oh God, I praise you. Oh God, I worship you. Oh God, I give it to you. Do you see the journey? Where are you on the journey? <laughs> control freak one end, worship freak the other. Where are you? See, you're on that continuum at some point, all of us. And uh, I believe this morning... God's asking you to take one step further along that journey. Because here's the thing. Did you know that um, you're, you're a mirror? Um, let, let, me, let me read to you from the, uh, uh, the New American Standard Translation of 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says this, But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. Did you know you're an image bearer of God? Like a mirror. A mirror merely reflects the image that it looks at, right? I mean, if, if I had a mirror in my, in my hand here, right? If I had a mirror here, and if I was to you know, lean that, that the nature of a mirror is, it reflects what fills it. So if I was to fill that mirror with something beautiful, the mirror would be beautiful. If I was to fill that mirror with something other than beautiful, then, <laughs> you know what I mean, in your own special way, <laughs> then the mirror would be something other than that. You know what I'm saying? So here's my point. Here's my point. 
What are you filling your heart with? See, Abraham continued to fill his heart with God. And so he became the reflection of that. See, you are a mirror. And whatever you lean into reflects in your life. So if you lean into, I don't know, work, you will reflect work. If you lean into family, you will reflect family. If you lean into your hobby, you will reflect your hobby. If you lean into your house, you will reflect your house. If you lean into your, I don't know, career, you will reflect your career. Whatever you lean into, you reflect. You are a mirror. Like the moon. The moon has no light within itself. It reflects the glory of the sun. That's you. That's how we are created. We are created to reflect that which we lean into, just like a mirror. The thing about Abraham was, he leaned into God. Whether things were great or not so great, he leaned into God. Whether he was overwhelmed or underwhelmed, he leaned into God. The journey of his life was learning, irrespective of the day and the circumstance. I lean into God because in that leaning into God is ultimately followed by the reflecting of God in my life to everything and to everybody who's around about me. You see, ultimately, whilst there is this journey that you are on, whilst there was a journey that Abram was on, ultimately, the journey was so much bigger than Abraham. Hence, he's mentioned about in in, in, uh, in Hebrews 11, you know, with the, um, uh, the great heroes of faith, the thing went on and on and on and on after him. His life reflected something. And so does yours. Your life reflects something. This morning, you choose what it reflects can either reflect your current crisis or it can reflect the glory of God. It can either reflect your biggest challenge or it can reflect the glory of God. I want us to stand together, church. This morning, we're going to sing this song. The guys would like to join me. Girls, thanks. We're going to take a moment and we're going to just establish that altar in our hearts establish that that point that touchstone that anchor that place that no matter what happens we come back to